The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we have a very exciting show from my point of view. One of the hot words in leadership and management at the moment is collaborative. We want a collaborative culture. We want people to collaborate. In fact, most of my clients are starting to put collaboration as one of their top values inside the company. Now, that's all wonderful, but when we start to get underneath how you create genuine collaboration, we get a little thin on what it is I need to do as a leader or I need to do as an individual in the organization. Particularly, as is often the case, the people that are coming together and needing to collaborate start from two opposing points of view. I'll take a case like unions and management. So with me today is Colin Rustin, and Colin is an expert in how you bring groups together to genuinely collaborate. He's a facilitator and executive coach with over 30 years of experience. His specialty is in helping people handle controversial issues, conflict, and build cultures of inclusion. He's a certified mediator. He writes, uh, president of Rustin and Associates Management Consultant, works with the Center for Creative Leadership, and in the past was a regional director of the National Coalition Building Institute. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. It's a pleasure to be with you. Okay, so Colin, let me start with this whole notion of collaboration. Why do you think it's become such a big word today? Well, I think it's a big word because there's so many uh, mergers and acquisitions that have happened. There are so many groups that are forming uh, out of existing uh, other cultures, and everyone has some degree of um, proficiency and expertise that they bring. Uh, and then the challenge is how do you mesh, mesh those together? How do you get people to interact well enough with each other to get things done? Uh, collaboration has a tendency to say that I value you, you value me, we're going to value each other, and we're going to figure out how to get things done. Uh, That's on the surface, at least. So I value you, you value me, and then we get things done. And so if I don't value the person that I'm working for, does that make it impossible Uh, to collaborate? It definitely changes the beginning point of the process. Uh, And that's one that, that happens not only with mergers and acquisitions, but also happens when team members are changing out all the time. You know, right now in the workplace, we're now having, what, three to four different generations. Uh, so there has to be a kind of a restarting point, even for people who have been engaged in the organization for many years. They're now working with people who are new to the organization. Uh, and they've got to build some level of 
trust and understanding and appreciation and awareness for what each party is bringing to the the mix. Uh, And unfortunately, because we're so production-oriented, we don't slow down to speed up. We don't set the stage for genuine, authentic relationships and appreciation. We just simply go with our expertise. And if I know something to a great extent, I'm going to push my knowledge as the right answer as opposed to yielding and listening to what may be a better alternative. It's interesting that you pick on expertise because I know when I watch clients, I remember one of my um, automotive clients from a few years ago in trying to get a thing done, a key strategy for the company that everybody would agree was an ultimate right answer in the marketplace. No disagreement. But the data that one group looked at to say where's the problem and the data that another group looked at to say where's the problem don't even line up. So the expertise, the language you use, the information you pay attention to is exactly what gets in the way. It, it can get in the way, uh, but it raises the question, are we really talking about facts as facts? Or are we talking about the meanings we've placed on facts from our various perspectives? So facts and stories. And generally when you've got two groups or individuals coming at an issue, uh, they're bringing their best knowledge base and realizing or I should say maybe not realizing that there's another variable in play, and that is the new current situation, uh, which challenges all of our thinking, uh, if we are honest about that, because there's nothing that we're likely able to do moving forward uh, that's going to be an exact replication of what we've done in the past. There's too much in the mix. There are too many things happening uh, to change the possibility of an outcome that's satisfactory without some analysis, without some collaboration, to use that word again, without some good listening uh, to one another before action is taken. Okay, so Colin, I love this notion of um, slow down to speed up. Mm -hmm. And you said value you and you value me. And you said build a trust and awareness of what the other brings. And this notion that I may have my facts, but I add meaning to the facts and stories that I have. So is collaboration the same thing as building an inclusive culture? I think collaboration is an aspect of building an inclusive culture. Uh, One of the things that we get trapped in in our workplace is that um, there's actually an output of some kind that we are branded to do. Uh, There is something that we're known for. Uh, But we get there by bringing the energies of different disciplines and many people to that outcome. And therein lies the mix. Uh, How do you pay attention to not only the design that we've said yes to and the outcomes that we want, but who pays attention to the people who are struggling to give their best effort uh, with teams that are very, what's the word I want to use, uh, they're changing all the time uh, because of promotions, because of uh, exits, because of inc- you know new people coming in. All those things are in the mix, and that's where management has to actually own that true responsibility and where some managers get stuck. Back to your word about experts. We elevate people, sometimes predicated on their success in being experts, but we give them then the new responsibility of leading others, and that's a totally different ballgame altogether. And we have multiple shows to talk about the difference between expertise and leading others, especially when you don't have the answer. All right, so give me, can you give me an example of a, of a group or a team, a group, uh, an organization that you have brought together, particularly when they start with controversial points of view? And just tell us the story. What happened? What did you do? 
the one that comes to mind is um, um, what is it? A refinery uh, on the west coast of the U.S. Where I was brought in as a team member with two colleagues to help. Um, what, what it wasn't a management labor concern. It was a dysfunctioning team concern, and it had the potential to become management labor. Uh, and our task and my responsibility was to kind of set that ground floor. Remember when I said start slow to go fast? Uh, in an environment that's highly intense, and sometimes you can add the words toxic or dangerous or where safety is really a concern, uh, you really have to know and appreciate the other human being and trust him or her that they're going to know and appreciate you Otherwise, we're in danger of not only not reaching our goals of output, we're in danger of actually creating um, uh, hurt and harm. Uh, and we were brought into a situation where some of that was happening. Uh, tempers were flaring for various reasons. Uh, people were distrusting not only management, but also their peers. Uh, there was just simply a breakdown in human connection or collaboration. We're going to come back to that word. So we had to go slow to go fast. Uh, I came in as the third party to this uh, assignment because my colleagues realized that people were not getting along well. They were not respecting each other. They were not seeing each other as human beings. And uh, some of my expertise is about bringing that to the forefront. And the first key is getting everyone to acknowledge just where they are, uh, acknowledge where they're coming from, from the standpoint of their history, from the standpoint of their, to some extent, belief systems, and how that may, in fact, be playing out in this dangerous environment where trust and safety are concerns. And the way to do that is that me, my, I had to be willing to disclose who I was and my background uh, and my uh, learnings over my, you know, ooh, wow, 60 years of being on the planet, um, and then ask them to share in partnership, just one person at a time, similar things that they're willing to disclose at this early point in the process. And then we build on that, you know, just very simple things, who you are, where you're from, where you, you know, your, your upbringing happened to be, uh, things as, as far as critical life challenges. Are you physically and mentally challenged in some way that is draining you? Uh, I try to disclose as much as I can, even to the point of letting them know that I'm a cancer survivor. The more one party is willing to be honest and disclosing, it's amazing how others are willing to do the same. And then people start to see the human being and not the person they were in conflict with. Well, this sounds pretty remarkable, Colin, that I take people where there's a lot of toxicity. I'm assuming there's a lot of blame. There's a lot of anger. Tempers are flaring. In a refinery, there's potential for danger and death, as we well know from the headline news. And you get people to sit down and start talking about who they are and what their life experiences and their deepest, darkest secrets. How do you Uh, do that? Not their deepest, darkest, but get them to remind themselves that they're human beings also learning and growing and then hear others who are doing the same. And what happens inevitably is that same kinds of stories start to emerge. Uh, People give the facilitator uh, an inordinate amount of power at the beginning of a process. And uh, if you're honest and forthcoming and tell them what you're about to do and then share your part to it, people are more than willing to generally follow that. And the ones who are resistant, that becomes a one-on-one dialogue and that helps the group make the change because the individual, in this case, me as facilitator or manager, has got to be authentic with that person. They've got to be able to let go of the, their learning uh, so that the other person can see that all human beings are in this process. Not, no one goes 
to the pinnacle without going through a lot of challenges, trials, and tribulations. Sounds like the coaching session I had this afternoon with somebody where I was trying to argue that it is a journey, that you don't get it right every day, you never will get it right every day, and if you see it as a journey rather than a destination, you're better off. Okay, so come back. You start this process with the two groups of people, with the team that's now very dysfunctional. Were they glad to have you come in? Were they worried about having you come in? Were they suspicious? What's the move? They were suspicious. They were not certain. Uh, you know, I, I walk in manifesting my humanity, and fortunately, some people see me as welcoming. Some people see me as scary. I'm a very large man. I've got a wonderful hue about my skin, and they don't know me. So I've got to be willing to bring a delight in my voice, in my face, in my offering, and that I'm there to help facilitate the process. They own it. They get to disclose what and when they want. And what's nice about uh, this process is that not everyone is going to be as forthright in a full group, but they will do it in pairs because they get to choose a partner for an activity. Then we'll try to come up with another activity. They get to choose a different partner. And all of a sudden, they've had a conversation with four to five people, and now they're starting to hear the other person's story and be surprised that, oh, I'm that way too. So <clears throat> I cannot harm them in any way. I can't ask them to do anything that is going to be disrespectful, and I know that. Uh, this is not trying to create um, an, an insight about how much I know. It's about trying to get them to disclose where they're stuck uh, and also disclose where they're happy. Because some of the questions are, you know, what brings a smile to your face? You know, what do you really enjoy doing when you finally do have leisure time? In some of these work situations, they don't talk about leisure time because they're working 12-hour shifts or they're on 24, off 24 uh, it's quite a demand, and this this process, a process that will help them re- regain their humanity with each other, is really important. All right, so we're trying to get people in pairs then to tell stories about their lives and to talk about what's been a challenge, to talk about what makes them happy, to talk about what they do in leisure, what their hobbies and their interests are, and I'm getting to know a counterparty as a human being. Is that the kind of essence of this? That is the essence of this. And they're getting to know three or four quicker than they normally do on a daily basis, and they're doing it without a cocktail. They're doing it stone sober, which is what's the kind of scary part. They don't, they don't really know how to do this because they've lost that, that skill of interaction somewhere uh, in their career because of demands of time and uh, sometimes the demands of work hours. All right, so go back to the refinery now. You've gotten people to start sharing stories. What kind of stories come out of that that help people understand the humanity? Can you give an example? Yeah, various stories. Um, usually you will go first to a family story. Uh, they'll share something that is true to their heart about a family member, uh, about conditions they are managing, uh, about challenges. And that's always uh, heartfelt, and people, they become quiet at that point, and they hear and they listen. Um, they also share stories about, you know, their process of success, how in a previous role in another organization, what they did that really worked in a team setting, and are they bringing that right now to this team, uh, or what will it take to bring that to this team. So it can really kind of uh, vary who's saying what, and that's also important, because in a team, there is variation. Everybody's not on the same page all the time. They're doing multiple things. And they can hear where some people are that's different than themselves. They no longer put their meaning to someone's behavior. They now know why that person is behaving a certain way. And that, that also can break down uh, this distrust and the hurt because they had the belief that it was intentional when, in fact, 
they were feeling the impact without knowing what the intent was. Right. I always say when I'm working with groups and when I'm coaching that it's the labels we put on people that become the problem with a relationship. And then if we can get out of the label, the interpretation, the meaning in your phrase, then you have lots more degrees of freedom of how to deal with somebody. And I usually start by saying, okay, you've never known me before, so when I'm talking, when you first met me, who did you see? Whose face did you put on my body? Because human beings are fantastic in their mental capacity, unless they're really, really in a state of uh, depression or um, de-energized. They can quickly start making uh, an analysis based on people's movement, based on people's conversation. So if the last person I remind them of was a good situation, they're welcoming to me. Uh, And if the last person I remind them of, there was a breach, then they're resistant to me. And they're resisting the last person. They're not resisting me. So I'll usually share something about how I had to learn that thing, too. I call it first thoughts. You know, what's the first thought to come to your mind when you interact with someone? And is it about that person in this moment, or is it about something that person reminds you of? And that breaks through a lot of people's stuckness because they start to realize, oh, my gosh, you know, I am thinking about that past situation. Uh, And I apologize because... I just went on a tear thinking about that situation. So all those things start to evolve through these early conversations, quite frankly. I was working with somebody a couple of weeks ago who was describing a relationship in the organization that he was having a hard time with. And Uh he said of an individual, she reminds me of my mother. (laughs) And it's that reminder of the mother or the brother or the father or the, you know, ex-wife or the, any other roles that we play that get in the way. All right. So Colin, you get these people sharing their stories and I start to begin and people become authentic in that they're talking about their real challenges, their family, their successes. So get a bit Mm -hmm. more of the real person. I strip away, start stripping away my interpretation interpretation of them, my first thoughts of them. Now, just before we take a break, what happens next? Next is to actually bring it uh, as best, as quick as we can to the current situation. Try to get more facts about what's going on, what's actually happening in the team or within the work group that we can separate into the two categories. What are facts and what are stories that are being played out because of facts that have happened? So therein lies this, this this part where it takes a little bit more time because once we put a story to a fact, the story takes on a life of its own. And we have to occasionally ask multiple times now, is that a fact or is that a story? What you just said, is that a fact or a story? And they struggle with that at first, and then they'll start to realize, oh, my goodness, it is my story about that fact. And what's your story about that fact? So we'll get a couple people to chime in about their story about the facts, and we'll see what we know in human behaviors that people can see and observe the same fact, but they will observe in meaning something totally different. And that's the beginning point that we can work with. Okay, so the story about that fact. So my budget was turned down. My story that I tell is that you always turn down my budget and you don't pay attention to me and somebody else in the team is favorite. That's what we mean? Exactly. That's a wonderful representation of it. And, and you also just reminded me of something else. Is the story a group story or is the story an individual story? Because there are external group activities like budgets and planning that are going on all the time that none of us have full knowledge of. But then there are individual behaviors that people will start putting meaning to uh, that matches their story about those external budget or those external group matters. Uh, it's a dance. It truly is a dance. 
It's I love that because I do see the group story gets developed and it gets developed when a couple of pull across pull apart and they start talking about the fact and in effect gossiping about it and adding meaning to it as a group of people. And then that just reinforces the whole thing and then you have a division within the team. Yeah. Okay, Colin, let me just see if I can kind of recap and then I want to go we're gonna take a break and we'll come back and yeah. talk about the second half of how this works. So the initial thing in order to get genuine collaboration Particularly where relationships are broken down, there's real dysfunction, there's huge distrust, animosity, tension, all those negative things. Where we want to start in this process is getting people to be genuine about who they are and to share stories about their lives in a very genuine way. Do that in a pairwise place so that we get to understand people as human beings rather than as the stories I've been or the interpretation I've been giving on you. Then I have to separate out what is my thought about this and what is the fact about what's here. So I start looking at that in terms of what's the story I tell about it or what's the fact about it. Mm-hmm. A reasonable summary? Okay, Very we're going to take a break. With me today is Colin Rustin. Colin, as you can tell so far, is a fabulous uh, facilitator, an excellent coach, and a specialist in conflict management, how to deal with all those controversial issues and bring people through to a place of collaboration, authenticity, and inclusion. We'll be right back. We're going to pick up with the story of the refinery. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. 
With me today is Colin Rustin. We've been having an incredible conversation about collaborative teams. How do you genuinely create an environment where people on the team value each other and feel valued by other people in order to get things done, especially when we start with tension? Colin is an expert coach and facilitator with over 30 years of experience, a certified mediator, and a specialist in handling controversial issues. So the point up to this show so far is we've been talking about a refinery team that was highly dysfunctional, lots of tension, uh, lots of anger outbursts, and the potential for real harm. And Colin's been talking about the process of taking that team from the beginning all the way through. And there's sort of two major stages we've talked about thus far. The first is getting individuals on the team in pairs to tell each other stories about who they are as people family circumstances, challenges in life, successes, so that individuals begin to see other individuals as human beings with common experiences. The second part is to really pull apart what is the fact that has happened here and what is the story that I've told myself about the meaning of that fact and to get the team to separate out both the individual stories and interpretations as well as the group stories and interpretations versus the facts. All right, so now, Colin, you've gotten this going. What happens next? Actually, you alluded to it as we were ending the first part of the conversation. People leave us group situations that are in stress, and they really start to have dialogue or conversation with their trusted others uh, outside of the group process. Um, we put the label on the rumors, but they are actually doing what I have to get them to do in the group, in each other's presence, and not in separate groups, but from the group. So the challenge is to, again, by small group conversations, usually three or four people at a time, uh, raise what may be the question. You know, what is our issue right now? What is uh, our recent event that created this this disconnection? Just put it on the table and just give each other three to five minutes to share their perspective. Uh, and they start to really think about what is a story, what is a fact, and where they are in the process. And they also start to glean information from the others in their small group, three or four, that expands their knowledge base and expands their uh, appreciation that someone is seeing it slightly different than what I'm seeing it. Um, So you, you build from pairs to triads to quads where you get people comfortable then talking in larger groups because what needs to be expressed needs to be expressed to many, not to just one other. Because if they express it to a larger group, they'll be challenged, but they always also will be supported. Because human beings in, certain, in most situations, they have a shared understanding. They just don't know they share with someone that they think is different than they are. Uh, someone who they've had um, a disconnection before may be the one who really understands what you're trying to say. So getting that open group dialogue to happen. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, And I get this whole notion that you get people, you create a leveling playing field a bit by getting people to tell stories. So I get to see you not as the person that I have created you as a monster of being who's uncooperative and trying to sabotage me. I get to see you as a person with your own challenges and struggles and success and personality. And then you teach people a technique around separating story from fact. And now we put that in practice with safe small pairs and then with small larger groups and larger groups. But now, when you ask people what's the issue or or what's a recent event that's been causing trouble, it's real easy for teams to go to blame. How do you keep them out of the place of blame? 
with the instruction that when you're expressing yourself to your small group, I want you to speak from the first person. What is your part in the process? What did you do or not do? What did you hold back? Because, and explain the why of it, or what did you do and why did you do it that way? It has to be a first-person ownership. The other thing I try to get them to do is to improve their communication of giving each other feedback. And uh, the Center for Creative Leadership has that wonderful technique that just continues to be a great facilitating process. If I can get people to say what behavior from others impacted them, not that they should or should do something different, but what behavior had an impact on them, then people start to understand. People start to value, appreciate, uh, they also start to apologize and to celebrate. Because uh, most times we don't tell people what they did that helped us do our best. We only let people know what didn't go well, and then we blame them. So part of it is don't use the blame. Just let people know how it's impacting you, uh, and then ask them to do the same. Uh, and it takes a little bit because it is countercultural. It's not our norm especially in the States, uh, we like to point fingers. But as Dad said, one finger out means three are coming back at you. So this is about owning. When you did X, this is what I felt. This is what I thought. This is what made me excited. This is what depressed me, upset me. And people will then choose their behaviors better because they are trying to have an impact. They are trying to influence. Uh, And unfortunately, sometimes they're trying to create a hurt because they've been hurt. And that's a different conversation altogether. Okay. Uh, when people finally acknowledge that they're acting out of a hurt place because someone hurt them or an event hurt them, like losing staff because budget had to shrink so hard and the tasks are still there. Uh, those are authentic conversations that have to be had. Difficult though they may be, they can be had. Yeah. So somebody is, and I presume when you say giving feedback, you mean both constructive, positive as well as on the more constructive side. So when yes. you said that, it made me feel really valued. Uh-huh. Okay, now you said this last part about that people f- have been hurt and they often are creating hurt. And I can think of plenty of examples of this where I had to lay off, a, someone had to lay off a lot of staff they're really hurting about having to do that, and they feel that somebody else is the cause for for needing to do that. And then they can say fairly hurtful things in com- in a conversation without understanding the meaning of it. How do you get people to own that and talk about that in a group setting? Well, um, generally, one I like that question. Uh, it can't. That doesn't start in a group setting. That's a one-on-one with the manager and the individual. Uh, you know, we do these performance appraisals hopefully once a year, if not three to four times a year. Those are our starting points for all this, if we would take advantage of it, as opposed to just trying to tick off tasks done. Uh, it's how did you get tasks done? With whom did you work to get that task done? There is few things that an individual at the manager's level uh, and above the supervisor level above that can be done by the supervisor him, only, him or herself. It's through others that we do this. So bringing those bringing that clarity to the collaborative behavior and the recognition that we're doing it with the help of other departments and other disciplines within the business. Uh, That's the art. Uh, And it is an art more than anything else. It's not science. That is all art. Okay. I'm going to take a sideline step for just a minute, and then I'll come back to this whole notion of getting the authentic dialogue going. You know, I have a lot of clients who are trying to create a genuine feedback culture. 
And like many companies or many people listening to this to the show, they'll say, well, we're, we're on a mandate that you have a year-end conversation about performance and that you have a mid-year conversation about performance. And everybody will say, we should have more feedback along the way. So here's the question. So there's nothing wrong with that other than we should have more conversations than twice a year. Um, so, okay, and we can teach a technique the for giving constructive feedback that's focused on the behavior and the impact. Okay, fabulous. But do you think it's possible to have a genuine feedback culture without having more authenticity in the relationship? No, I do not. There has to be an authentic relationship, a trust of the other individual uh, him and her, uh, not only as human beings, but if they're doing a job that we hired them to do. And herein lies the challenge. A lot of us as supervising managers inherit people who are being paid for less than uh, productive work. But once you've been paid for less than productive work, it becomes the level at which people then assess whether or not they are meeting expectations. So your point is really correct. The supervisor, the manager, has the whole he or she has to hold where the, uh, the benchmark is and be willing to elevate it. Uh, you start where they are. I don't care how bad it's been, but you say from this point forward, this is going to be the benchmark I'm looking for. I'm looking for not only output, but I'm looking for the way you interact with your peers, your timeliness, the way you manage resources. These are the things that we're going to assess as we move forward over the next three to six months, and we're definitely going to look at the end of the year. So it's a changing in the dialogue between the supervisor and manager with their individual team members. And it's rare, honestly, that I get to work with a group that does that well. Um, Most of them are just struggling because someone has to be consciously aware that we're not paying for exceptional work. We're just paying for behavior that's been acceptable in the past. Okay. Yeah, I find I, I agree with you completely that it's hard to have a good feedback conversation if there isn't some degree of trust. I also find that way too often managers put interpretation on a behavior, and we're back to your whole stories versus the facts. And if I can get them to disseminate the difference between those two, we've got some progress. Okay, so let's go back to your story about the refinery. So now okay. you've gone through this process where I've got people sharing their personal stories with each other, kind of seeing each other as human. And now we've gone to this technique of the stories versus the facts, and now we're starting to do a dialogue, small groups and building up larger, where we're talking about the real issues, my perspective on what's happening, and having people own that. Um, How did it affect me? What did I do? Why did I do it? And understanding that. What happens after that? Well, there's a place in that conversation where I have to, again, be responsible to, to get them present time forward and not to spend too much time in the ouches of the past. So there's a, a um, offering that I have to make to say that, you know, we have limited time and we're going to be together in this process. Can we start to establish, now that we're talking and seeing each other and hearing each other better, can we start to establish what we want and how we want to behave moving forward? Can we come up with a uh, litany of behaviors and activities that not only do we want from others, but that we're also willing ourselves to exhibit? Uh, so it, it moves people. There still has some ouches to work through, but from a work standpoint, um, we've got to figure out if I started doing X today, what's the possibility of there being success tomorrow? And that's where I asked them to move to. Uh, the other thing I, I didn't say out loud, and I always say it in the group process, they are talking to each other and only through me. This is the mediation training. 
they first talk to me, they'll tell me their story. And I'll say, well, will you share it with your classmates, with your peers? I'm here, but I want you looking at each other eye to eye. And first people resist that, and then all of a sudden people start doing that. And that's where you know you've got a breakthrough. Because now they're starting to communicate. They're starting to trust each other enough to talk to them human to human. And I kind of a little bit fade to the side and then come in only when necessary. Because the whole idea is to leave them with skills that they can take forward and not necessarily create a place where I'm going to come back and back and back. Because that's not my intention. Uh, I don't want to work in a world where I'm coming in to solve everybody's problems. That's, that's hard work. Um, and it takes away from me being a human being. Fair enough. So you use your role as the mediator to build trust with you yes. as the third party and then transfer that trust back to the individuals involved Absolutely. with time, steadily, slowly, Absolutely. over time. Absolutely. And oh. when in the process, when I see the success happening, I, I note that. I said, you know, time out, here's an SBI, here's a piece of feedback I want to give you, because what you just did really reflects this model, or is you really helped someone see what you were intending, even though your behavior was misunderstood. So it's a teaching moment all the way throughout the process, but it's getting them to actually own it and not so much giving that responsibility to a third party outside long term. Okay. All right. So I get some authenticity in the room, in the discussion within the team. I get some separation of fact and story, and I get some honest dialogue about how I feel about what you've said and done and how I feel about the situation, and I get some moving forward of what do we want to do about this, and how is that going to create success. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty positive to me. How long does this take? Uh, it can take, depending on how distressed a group is, it could take three months or more. Uh, that refinery took more. Uh, but in that process, it's the, it builds upon itself because people start stepping up and doing more when we were not on site. But it was there was a five-year process, uh, and it only stopped when management changed, uh, when senior leadership changed as a new mode of operating. And then they have some skills. The question is, can they then use those skills under the new management paradigm? Uh, we're always cognizant of that fact. So typically with a group, so I realize this was a long, ongoing process because there were lots of people to get involved in this one. But typically with a group, when you get them over the hurdle of, can we do this going forward, and they have the skills, does it stay until the person people change? I mean, is this permanent? What happens permanent? is it, it becomes part of the subculture in some ways. Some people get it and they run with it. And they're the ones who advance usually in the organization because now they are capable of running and interacting with the larger group. Those who are still somewhat stuck, you know, struggle with it for a while. Uh, but that's the nature of... You know, even Tuckman's model, you know, you form, you storm, you come to a norming process, then you perform, and then change happens, and then you start the process over again. Uh, and it's helping them know that they can start it over again with someone new coming in, but that person new coming in doesn't have the same baggage necessarily. They just got different baggage, but they have to have that authentic upfront conversation, that slow-to-go-fast conversation. Okay. All right, I love that. That becomes part of the subculture and is, as we said at the beginning, it's a journey. It's always a journey yeah, here. It really, really is. All right. So, Colin, let me see and if I can also, send this. Oh, go sorry. ahead. I was going to say, it also benefits the group you're working with, but it, it long-term benefits the organization because people do advance, and they take those skills and techniques with them as they move throughout the organization. It strikes me as remarkable to get a group of people to the point where they would be 
they would genuinely share themselves, the more mm-hmm. vulnerable parts of themselves with each other, that they would separate fact from fiction, but fact from story, interpretation, if you will, that yeah. they would then be prepared to talk about the real issues that are on the table and what is really genuinely causing a problem and then move forward with what they're going to do about that as a resolution. I mean, it strikes me as quite remarkable process to take a group through. Okay, we're going to take a break. With me today is Colin Rustin. Colin's a coach, a facilitator, and as you've just heard, a fabulous mediator. His specialty is helping groups handle controversial issues. And more importantly, that is how you build collaboration and inclusion. When I come back, I want to pick up with this notion of what's the difference between a collaborative culture and inclusive culture. We'll be right back. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Colin Rustin. Colin is an exceptional facilitator, an executive coach, and a certified mediator who specializes in handling controversial issues and conflict, as well as building culture of inclusion. We have been talking about how you take a team that is truly dysfunctional and convert it over a bit of time to become a place where people are genuinely authentic with each other, sharing their real thoughts and feelings, building collaboration, and starting to work with each other in new ways. Now, Colin, at the beginning of the show, you said collaboration is a part of inclusivity. So what does it take to build a truly inclusive culture? 
from my vantage point, it takes a willingness of an individual and their role to not only share their expertise, but also share their process of learning and growing, uh, share their missteps and owning in in the moment when they have said something that obviously from observation has upset someone or been misunderstood. Uh, and you got to check in. We talk about uh, inquiry. Uh, we're taking information in all the time. You can see when people are with you and all of a sudden people are resisting you. You have to ask the question, what did I just say or do? that created this breach or created what seems to be a breach. Um, I'm an introverted person by nature, and I've had to learn to be more expressive. And the way I've learned to be more expressive is to ask the questions out loud that I'm asking in my head. Uh, and then I started to realize, oh, that's what my extroverted friends were doing all along. They were just asking all the questions. Um, but for me, it truly comes down to, are you willing to model what you're asking of another? Because people are looking at, they're looking for, how do you do that? And you have to show them how to do that. So I was just thinking about our, our government and our constitution and how it's taken 250 years to, to become more inclusive of all the human beings, even though there was a blueprint called the constitution that was less than perfect when it was designed. It excluded many people. It excluded women, people of color. It excluded non-landowners, uh, etc. And over time... Because of the collaboration, you can't build a nation, build a company without bringing in people who have knowledge and expertise that you don't have. And they're not going to give you their best unless they feel both valued and respected by you. They will take it somewhere else. And, and I see that as being a great guide for how I try to do the work that I do, is uh, have a fundamental guiding principle of trusting and um, believing that other human beings will always give you the best that they can. And then find out what's keeping them from giving you their best when something is not there and ask the question. And people can answer it. People will tell you what's missing, be it you or be it something you said or did. Colin, I, as much as I talk about inclusivity, I just had an insight. So okay. the argument here is that if I can get people to say out loud what it is that just happened that made them feel less than valued. Mm -hmm. And I can have other people open to hearing that, mm -hmm. that we can genuinely build a place that's inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it's about at saying it and owning it and asking about it. So as a manager, I can ask. I can say, what did have I said or done that leaves you feeling devalued or whatever the word is? or are disengaged, and as an individual, I can take the ownership to step up and say, when you do this, I don't feel important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember my first supervisory job, which was scary to begin with. This goes back at the university, and I, I was uh, hired to run a team of people who didn't know me, I didn't know them, and I took a, a brilliant piece of intuition. Uh, during the one-on-ones, I asked a simple question. What do I need to do or say that will help me give you the support so that we will always give me your best effort. And then I went quiet because that's a powerful question to let someone know that you're willing to do anything that is reasonable to help them do their best. Uh, and most people respond and some, a couple people said, I don't want to answer that question. And then the question is, why not? Because then you'll know what, what you need to do to get me to do my best work. So it starts a dialogue in kind of a humorous way. But uh, that's what managing supervisors is all about. What do people need in order to give their best effort on every given day? 
how can you run interference for them? How can you inform them, get information for them? Um, those are the kinds of things. And it's different for each, each of your team members, uh, if you're willing to ask the question. Okay, so two things strike me about this. One, I love the question. Let me just repeat it. So what do I, as your manager, need to do or say to give you the support you need so that you will give me your best effort every day? And then stop. Listen. And if you can do it, do it. And if you can't, say, I can't do that, but I can do this. You negotiate a little bit. Because sometimes people ask for very unreasonable things because they want to see how far they can push it. And you're still the supervisor manager. You can say, that's impossible, but this is possible. Yeah. And the other I know thing that- is people will then hire, they will either perform or they will exit on their own. Either way works for me. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Perform or exit. I like that. That's a great one. Um, I know the fear a lot of managers is if I put that question on the table, the answer is going to come back as money. I want more money. But I actually find most people, uh, assuming that the base salary is decent, that what they really want is something else. I want a chance to learn. I want to be valued. I want to be respected. I want to, Yeah. The second thing that strikes me here, Colin, is that your philosophy underpinning both collaboration, inclusivity, and authentic relationships is dialogue. How do we get people having a more honest, more genuine dialogue? I agree with that. Dialogue is that uh, interaction with other human beings that is so uh, open to the possibility of finding out something that's unknown. Instead of purporting what you know and what you have learned, being able to say, this is what I know so far, what am I needing to be aware of from you? It's creating new knowledge, new information, new interactions. Uh, it's being so absolutely authentic with each other that you can say, you know, I really don't know. Uh, you know, this is all I got right now. I'm going to ponder it for a while, but this is the best I got. What, can you offer something? And all of a sudden there's a give and take. There's a willingness to offer nuggets to each other. Uh, and it's despite titles and despite organizational levels. Uh, and that's where we also get stuck because we do structure sometimes our compensation based on organizational position. But what we need is full-time engagement regardless of what people say yes to. Uh, if they say yes to a job, then I want them to do their best even though they may not stay in that job a long time. Uh, and likewise, if I say yes to leading others, I have to adjust my style to get the best effort from the others, uh, and we have that capacity. You, I like your title of the program. For me, I like to use the word, I want to stretch so that when we have our ending interaction, we are our comfort zone is larger than it was when we first started. So we're stretching our comfort zone, not just getting out. Okay. It's actually owning it and moving forward with a larger comfort zone. That's great. I love this that you say, say yes to leading others. That means that I have to adjust my style to get the best from others. One of the things that I hear from managers and leaders routinely is I am being inclusive because I am treating everybody the same. (laughs) Yes. You laugh. Okay, so why do you laugh? You know what I'm going to say, but what's your view? Treating everybody the same is not going to get the best from everybody. Uh, we are at different places in our, our development as uh, individuals and companies as well as human beings. And someone treating me the same as someone, uh, someone else is not going to get my best. They're only going to get at best an inclination. That's why the dialogue is important. You've got to ask the question, 
tell me what I need to do so that I can get the best from you on any given day and figure out as the supervised leader, okay, what's in our realm of possibilities as an organizational leader, uh, group lead, et cetera, that doesn't violate or put someone else at disadvantage. This is complex, but it is not complicated. Uh, it does require a willing to disclose why you're doing X over here and something slightly different over here. It has to be that thing we talk about, transparency. Uh, and it can't just simply be the model that I grew up under is that, well, if you follow me, I'll take you with me. And you realize you don't want to go with that person after you see them do what they do. You want to do some things differently. Uh, and a willingness yeah. to say so. I have a case at the moment where a policy, an HR policy, mm-hmm. has been touted as a popular, a wonderful thing for the company, a really, really good thing. And, you know, publicly, I think they're getting a lot of kudos for this particular policy. And it's generally available for everybody, et cetera, et cetera. But it has been approved for some individuals and not approved for others. And that lack of transparency on why even though it may have been wise to approve for some and not approve for others, but the lack of transparency now has bred distrust. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are reasons for extenuating uh, extenuating circumstances, even with the best policy in the moment. Uh, And if you're not willing to disclose that, it looks like something nefarious. It looks like something uh, that's favoritism, and then that just takes on a life of its own, and it's almost impossible to recover from uh, without someone separating and starting over again. So the way I try to advise people is that be as disclosing as is possible by your organization and don't allow your organization to limit human disclosure uh, at the same time. Uh, There are things that can't be disclosed until a certain time by certain people, but we err on the side of holding back too much instead of putting uh, information out. Uh, And that's risk. We're talking about mitigating risk now, and uh, every organization has something different. So they're going to take a different slant. But from a human relationship standpoint, uh, being authentic and honest about where that interaction is happening and where it's stuck uh, only leads to a better outcome, even though it might lead to a separation. Uh, sometimes separation is exactly what's needed. Otherwise, people are um, delaying potential progress because they are not giving good energy. They're circumventing the possibilities of success. Interesting. I have um, a manager who has decided that disclosing the salary ranges within bands of people within his organization is the way in which he's going to create transparency. Uh Or at least I should say he's entertaining the possibility. You can imagine some of the complexity of doing it, but it just feels like everybody thinks that everybody else is getting paid differently and they don't know what to ask for, how to ask for it, and he's willing to put that open on the table in order to create an in, you know, a better dialogue and a sure. more inclusive culture. Sure. All right, so, Colm, let me come back to see if I can put wrap all of this up together. Okay. If I start at the top, if I show up in an authentic way and I invite other people to be authentic, and by that I mean tell me who you really are, tell me a story about you, successes and failures and challenges, that's where we recognize each other as human beings. When I recognize you as a human being, separately, independently, differently than me, then I can begin to separate the fact from my interpretation of the facts. And I invite you to help me understand the difference between the facts and the interpretation of the facts. When I do that, I create the possibility for genuine dialogue. 
honest dialogue about my expectations, about my needs, about my wants, about my desires, about my disappointments, about my hurts. It's that honest dialogue that brings us to genuine collaboration and to genuine inclusivity. And if I will add to that a bit of transparency and a fabulous question as a manager, what do I need to do and say to give you support so that you give me your best every day and then negotiate, then we have the formula for what's going to make for a dynamic, high-performing, collaborative, inclusive culture. Colin, thanks for being with us. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's a lot to digest, but thank you very much. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been my pleasure. Fabulous. Next week, we'll be talking with Frederick Fogelberg, and in this particular case, we're going to be talking about his work in helping managers work with virtual teams. So how do you build that collaborative environment when you don't get a chance to see people face-to-face? Join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.